Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I'm your host, Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined as I often am by my colleague and collaborator, Ryan Donovan. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Ben. How are you doing today? So back in my day when I was a journalist and working a lot with startups and VCs, people would always say, we're not you know, a service, we're not a technology company, we're a platform. It was exciting to be a platform. That meant you were worth more and other people were going to build on top of you. But we've done a few blogs and, and discussed a few times on the podcast the idea of platform engineering, which I think is a bit different. Do you have a like a definition of that in your head, Ryan? It's actually fairly similar, except the platform that people are building is internal to the software itself. They're they're building a platform to run, you know, a larger networked application, sometimes multi-service. So it's it's doing a lot of the same stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. So instead of internally having, you know, various services which maybe aren't well connected, you have a platform that all the engineers can work off of and that makes it easier for them to build out new tooling and yeah. you know and, and it handles a lot of the the complicated stuff you know the traffic routing a lot of that sort of stuff all right well today we have a great guest coming on luca galente who is coming to us from humanitech to discuss exactly this topic platform engineering and where it sits alongside things like devops so luca welcome to the show thank you thank you for having me so give folks a quick flyover. How did you get into the world of software and technology? And what are you doing day to day in your current role? So I lead product at Humanitech. The original idea of Humanitech came from a bunch of us basically working at pretty large companies. So one was Xing that probably most people in the US don't know, but it's kind of the equivalent of LinkedIn in Europe. Uh, still a pretty big company, like two, 3,000 engineers. Our CTO came from, from Google, actually. And basically what we realized was that these very large sort of leading engineer organizations were building these platforms, what we call internal developer platforms, to you know enable developer self-service and all the things that we can talk about. And they were sort of like slowly but surely trickling down to mainstream. Um, and so mm. we decided to basically start building Humanitech to give other engineering organizations, not necessarily small teams, but kind of like your mid-size and also large-size enterprise orgs, the toolbox to go and build their IDP instead of having to kind of like reinvent the wheel because not everybody has the same, you know, resources that that Google or Airbnb can kind of like throw at the at the problem. And also the problem is actually a little bit different. And that's something that I'm happy to get into, but something that I see sort of like teams fall for is like, oh, if Google does it, it's good for me as well. And it's not necessarily the truth. Yeah, so that's me. I'm probably better known on Twitter for uh, spamming people with like, you know, benchmarking reports or stuff like that. But really, I am one of the kind of core contributors to the platform engineer community. I help moderate into Slack over there. I host PlatformCon and a bunch of other initiatives. Very cool. I gave a, a, a rough definition of platform engineering how would how would you describe it yeah so for me platform engineering is kind of the art because it's really more of an art than a science of basically taking all the different tech and tools that you have floating around in especially the enterprise today and bind them into a golden path that alleviates cognitive load on the individual contributor on the developer and enables self-service for engineers and the superset of these golden paths is what is often referred to as an internal developer platform or IDP for short, which is really the end product 
of the platform team, the platform engineering org, and is, you know, sort of developed with a platform as a product mindset, which is kind of like one of the sort of like major tenets that we advocate for in the community. Is there a distinction or an important one between, you know, a platform and a portal? We've talked to a bunch of different companies that have built their developer portal. And often I feel like that serves some of the same roles. It allows them to, you know, uh, create integrations easily. It allows them to figure out, you know, how things are connected or why things were built. Like, what is the distinction between those? Because a bunch of companies we've talked to from Spotify and others, exactly what you said. If it's, it was really useful within a large company and then that kind of thought process was then open sourced and now is being shared by smaller organizations who find a lot of value in it. A hundred percent. I think it's a great question and one that confused a lot of people. I think still confuses a lot of people, to be honest, both in the community and outside of it. So Gardner actually published a very clear definition six months ago or so, basically outlining a portal is you can think of it as effectively a UI layer on top of your platform layer. And as you said, Ben, you know, we see a lot of companies basically do this sort of part, what I call a prioritization fallacy when they start on their on their platform journey. Mm. And it's basically an anti-pattern where, you know, they have this mandate from management or whatever to say, hey, improve developer experience. And so then they basically look at developer experience and they try to break it into different uh, into the different steps of it. Like what does a developer start doing? Or they create a service, then they add features, then they push it to dev prod and so on and so forth. And Basically, they look at it chronologically, right? And they and they sort of take their first step and they're like, oh, great, you know, service creation. Let's start from there. And the issue with that is, you know, how often do you actually create a new service? Now, if you're huge streaming companies, very often, and you have a lot of, you know, economies of scale, if you, you know, automate that through a portal and so on. But in the vast majority of cases, you know, maybe it's like, 0.5 or 1% of, of the time, right? And so the ROI of, of taking Backstage, which, again, is a great product. We have worked at Humanitech very closely with their product team. We have an integration because, again, a portal with a platform worker share like Humanitech can actually go hand in hand very well. But, you know, if you start from there, you're risking just basically capturing like very little ROI for what actually is a lot of work. Like I've seen people taking six months plus to, you know, implement their, their backstage instance and then have developers being like, so what do I do exactly with this? And that's, a, by the way, that's an issue that can happen with any sort of like platform initiative, right? Not just like a kind of like portal centric, but that's, I think, something that people really want to be aware of. And the solution to that, frankly, is pretty simple, is, you know, looking for pain. And so we have published on Humanitech, a few kind of like research that we did across the industry where we basically asked people, hey, for every 100 deployments, how often do you perform these type of things? So like, you know, service creation or spin up a new environment, provision a new database, change configurations, do a rollback, whatever it is. And then basically you get, you know, a percentage per 100 deployments, as well as we asked them how much time does you know, that action take both on the development side of things and operations. 
And then through that, you basically get out of a matrix. And this is going to be different for everybody. I mean, there's obviously like clear patterns. And through that, it's really e- easy way to look at like, all right, this is clearly where people are spending the most time and what it seems to be one of the most painful steps of the way. And that's what you should focus on. And usually in our experience, that is application and infrastructure configuration management, right? Like that's where people go crazy and you have all this like, you know, sprawling of files that that can become really quite problematic. And so that's probably, you know, a better place to start than than service creation. Again, highly depends on on your setup, but that's that's the main difference really. Look for the pain first. Seek out the pain before (laughs) you uh, invest in building something to potentially solve problems that you may or may not have. All right, everybody. Today's episode has a very special sponsor, yours truly, Stack Overflow. Now, a lot of us are being asked to do more with less right now. So spending hours a week searching for answers across wikis and emails and chat threads isn't cutting it. Luckily, there's a more efficient way to collaborate and share knowledge. Stack Overflow for Teams is a knowledge base that has all the features you already know from stackoverflow.com, but reimagined for your organization. It's Q&A format, integrations, and content health capabilities make it easy to share knowledge so your team spends less time searching for answers and more time building solutions. It's also used by companies of all sizes, including Microsoft, Expensify, Bloomberg, and Dropbox. So what are you waiting for? Become your team's hero and get started for free at s.tk slash team hero. All right, spiel over. Let's get on with the show. So what are the uh, the important pieces of any internal developer platform? What would you say are the, the foundational building blocks? Yeah, so I think it's really about, you know, you obviously want to have your kind of... Um, Usually, basically, what you take is the, te- the the different like cloud native technologies, right? That are floating around, and you bind them in this golden path, as you as we said. And you know what I see, kind of like successful platform initiatives do is start post commit, because frankly, everything up to commit is pretty much solved and pretty much commoditized at this point, right? And so again, like there, the question I think is from the platform in- engineering team perspective, and this is another anti pattern that we see actually is. You know, they they reinvent the wheel because they're engineers and they love building and they're like, oh, let me rebuild the whole thing from scratch. And and actually, as a platform team, you should really focus on like, you know, where can I deliver the most value? And so the question becomes, okay, basically look at platform engineering as this like unopinionated toolbox to go and build your own opinionated workflows and your own opinionated platforms that will have different golden paths and different levels of abstraction and context that you provide to different types of users from different types of teams. And so that's really, you know, it's not really, I think, about like what is the ideal stack. It's rather, okay, how can I take what's out there, both like commercial stuff like Humanitech or open source stuff like Argo and Backstage, and how can I combine them into something that makes sense for my team? And so then your job as a platform team really becomes that sort of last mile optimization, right? Because there's nobody else that can do it for you, right? Like Humanita cannot do it for you. And if they can do it for you, then it's called the pass. And that's kind of like the key difference, which is basically, you know, you have a product team at a pass provider, you know, the most famous sort of OG one is Heroku. Now you have a lot of them, they're like more specialized in different use cases. And they basically say, hey, 
I, the product team at you know Pass Provider X, have figured out what's the minimum common denominator across the industry for you know the and what's the right level of abstraction that works kind of like blanket uh, one size fits all for everybody, and that can be great. I often encourage teams to go for a pass rather than building an IDP if they're small, right? Like if you're like ten developers, twenty developers, you basically have two paths usually. Either true DevOps, right? So true, like everybody does everything pretty much, which can work at a smaller scale, you know, assuming that everybody's comfortable with the like Terraform, Helm charts, whatever. It just doesn't scale because, you know, you can't expect uh, when you're hiring like 100 engineers a year that everybody understands, you know, and you shouldn't because it's not their job. And so that's one path. The other path is, okay, you're small and you already are in a place where you don't want everybody to understand everything. And so you just build a pass layer and it's really simple and it's usually turnkey and you can very and you can do very little customization, right? But when you go above that kind of, you know, 50, 100 developers threshold, that's when the pain points start to emerge. Then that's where you want to have, you know, you want to start building the IDP. And then the value of the platform team is really, you know, around that, uh, you know, figuring out what are the what are the right problems, what are the right pain points, and iterate from there. And you know, another another thing that I see a lot is people thinking that oh, my platform is going to fail because of the tax stack that I pick. It never fails because of that. It fails because of because of cultural problems, not because of technology problems, right? It fails because you weren't able to sell internally to the different stakeholders, whether it's like your C level, your you know infrastructure teams, your dev teams especially, or it fails because you didn't build the, the right golden paths, right? You didn't make a product that was actually 10x better than what people have right now, but not because of like, oh, I picked, you know, Flux instead of Argo. Like, that's that's not why it fails. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, I get how this is a, an extension of DevOps. This is sort of the team that built the tooling that lets the automation and all the self-serve stuff happen. Do you think that this will encompass dev- DevOps, or do you think that DevOps will still remain a separate thing from platform engineering? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I love having the chance of explaining on podcasts because, you know, we're running this like DevOps is that campaign uh, a few months ago that made a lot of noise and pissed a lot of people off. And I think it was like, really important to get the conversation going in the mm-hmm. in the market, in the community. So I'm still happy we did it. Um, but you know, one of the challenges with that was that that velocity of the dubs is that message and its virality was too high for the velocity of the conversation to actually catch up and keep up with it. And so a lot of people, I think, got this message out of context, which can, you know, rightly make you angry. And um, and so it's actually kind of productive at that point. Mm-hmm. And so it's helpful to, you know, be on a podcast with a bit of just like long form content, not just a tweet. Cause mm-hmm. if you think about DevOps, right? Like DevOps, you know, has been it's been around for like 15 years at this point. The world that it was sort of like first brought into was a very different one than the one we live in today. You know, we used to develop a monoliths, maybe running on bare metal. The infrastructure was extremely less complex. You had no Kubernetes, no IC, no 10,000 tools, CNCF landscape type of thing, right? 
And the initial idea was very simple. It was and, and like a really good one, right? It was basically like take down the barrier between developers and operations, facilitate collaboration. Great. The issue, I think, is when you layer on top all the you know converging trends that we've had in the last 15 years, cloud, cloud native, Kubernetes, Terraform, GitOps, and whatever your buzzword du jour, then the actual developer experience of, of expecting everybody to do everything becomes you know, A, non-realistic, and B, it just creates a lot of friction between the new ops team, which are now called DevOps team, and developers. And so that doesn't scale. And the first companies that realize that are the companies that I was mentioning at the beginning, and that's where it all started, and then it, it, it trickled down, right? And so if you think about platform engineering through that lens, it's really not a DevOps killer. It is mm-hmm. rather a DevOps enabler right? Mm-hmm. It is actually what enables true you build the run it at the enterprise scale. And so in that sense, I think platform engineering is really an evolution of DevOps uh, for the cloud native era. Yeah. I mean, somebody's going to have to manage the code, code when it runs in production, right? Somebody's going to have to deal with the inevitable yeah. breaks. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why I think another kind of like going back maybe to one of the anti-patterns we see is Platform teams not clearly articulating what their mission is, right? And so basically they end up being yet another DevOps team. And then you mm-hmm. fall back into the same issues of, oh, like ticket ops and like I'm just putting off fires instead of building and shipping a product, which is your IDP. And so that's, I think, really, really important. You know, platform team doesn't replace your SRE team, right? In large companies, you still have actually multiple infrastructure teams, multiple cloud ops. And even multiple platform initiatives, which is also something interesting, platform teams, which is also something interesting we can talk about because you basically compete to each other and I think creates better product, obviously. But yeah, it, it's important. Like, it, uh, And if you try to do both at the same time, you will fail both at like, you know, keeping your product <laughs> up and at actually shipping a product that people want because you're not focusing on either. I could see how DevOps is dead in a tweet might get lost on some DevOps engineers, but hopefully... If they dig a little deeper, they'll understand that there's some nuance to it. Just to ask your opinion on sort of the hot topic of the day, within the context of the new generative AI tools that are emerging, is there a world in which this kind of platform engineering can be facilitated by you know, agents that are able to communicate back and forth with the developers, answer questions about why certain you know code or architecture was built a certain way, explain why certain errors are happening or you know, sniff out areas where things are slowing down or leaking memory that shouldn't be? Yeah, it's a great question and something that we've definitely been thinking about from a product perspective. I think the answer is yes, 100%. I think if I look at this sort of vintage of AI Mm. tools, probably the uh, largest impact is going to be on coding and on, on, on software creation. From um, kind of like an AI evolution perspective, I think we're definitely in that in that step of changing how we create software. I certainly believe it will have an impact in terms of like platform engineering specifically. Yeah, I think Ben, you you nailed it. It's about to me, it's about the interface, right? Mm-hmm. It's about bringing mm-hmm. this conversational interface into you know platforms. So you know, right now, if I take, if I think about Humanitech, we have, you know, a fully API base, you have a CLI, you have a UI, and then you have a fully code based system, right? So what's missing there, I think, from our perspective is providing, for instance, a, a conversational interface that can obviously work both 
for both users, right? Like both on the platform engineering side, like figuring out what's the best way of doing things. But I think more importantly, working on the developer side of things, right? So how mm-hmm. developers, because that's really where you can have a much clearer design of Goldman Pants by using something like AI, right? Where instead of having, you know, the, basically the platform engineer go and like speak to everybody, which is what they need to do right now to figure out what's the right level of abstraction, basically the user and the system conversationally figure that out on their own and, and basically go from there. And so I think that's really exciting. Yeah, I like the term you use. This this vintage does seem like it applies immediately to software developers, especially experienced ones can find a lot of productivity gains here. Whereas right. folks like me, you know, maybe it'll make my essay better, but I'm not necessarily sure I want it writing my essays just yet. Code is functional. If it writes something that works well and would have taken me a few hours, great. Yeah, and I think, by the way, that's that's super interesting, specifically for software engineering. Like I was listening to this podcast the other day where they were saying, Oh, you know, like the usual debater, like, is it gonna, you know, replace a bunch of people? Because they were talking about this, like, thing that went half viral in Silicon Valley about this, like, designer. It was like, hey, I've been replaced by AI, generic AI, and so on. And I actually think we have such a huge backlog in software engineering, or like software that needs to be built, that, you know, I think for the next, like, five years at least, it's just going to be like, how can I take my current like X developers and make them X times Y as opposed to like replace a bunch of them? Because yeah. like, if you think about like the, the main constraint of every single product company that I've ever seen is always engineering. It's always <laughs> like, oh, we don't have enough resources to do this or right. do that feature or whatever. So uh, I think it's exciting um, and people shouldn't be afraid of it, yeah. at least for now. I like it. <laughs> it's going to do all the yeah. easy, easy coding for you. Right. Woe is the uh, soon-to-matriculate software CS grads. <laughs> but no, I, I think, <laughs> you know, to that point, I've seen it immediately, you know, increase with, really increase the velocity of product releases across every technology company. So I think in that sense, you know, if it drives more, if it drives more innovation and efficiency, it might lead to more product, more companies, and so more demand for software developers. It certainly also seems like yeah, when you have X number of coders, now they can be more ambitious. And so they're not necessarily doing less. In fact, it seems like teams are suddenly being asked to turn up the volume because everybody realizes we're at the start of a new era. And so people want to move fast and feel very engaged. So yeah. we'll see how it all shakes out. Once they start coding themselves, that's when you got to nuke the data center. <laughs> they already did. Did you see? The, the, I, I saw a video the other day. Okay, I, Ryan's yeah. team nuke it from orbit. Guy, there you go. I wasn't that's, sure where you sat on that Is that skynet.com? <laughs> <laughs> we all have to weigh in ahead of time because it's listening and keeping track. So just make sure you pick your side. <laughs> all right, everybody, as we do this time of the show, let's shout out a member of the community who came on and helped out, spread a little knowledge, saved a question from the dustbin of history. Congrats to Dev Art awarded March 31st, a lifeboat badge for saving a question with a great answer. How can I show the table structure in a SQL server query? DevArt has the answer for you and has helped almost 600,000 people. So we really appreciate it. I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Shoot us an email with questions or suggestions for the show, podcast at stackoverflow.com. And if you like the show, do us a big favor. Leave us a rating and a review because it really helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find the blog at stackoverflow.blog. And if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter at R. Thor Donovan. And I'm Luca, uh, Luke at Luca underscore cloud on Twitter. If you want to find out more about platform engineering, I think the best place to start is PlatformCon. 
HavranCon.com is free. It's happening in June and is the largest conference around platform engineering and DevOps in the space. So go check that out. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you soon. 